Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Martelloup Church. Today we are continuing our series, the series that we're going to be doing all month on the music of Handel's Messiah. And today we're going to look specifically at the theme of how God's shepherding heart can help us as individuals, as a community, find rest. So last week I mentioned that there's hardly a person that I bump into nowadays who isn't kind of burned out or it's Friday and we need a break and not really feeling like they have a lot of margin in life. And so hopefully today's message um, will help us find a little bit more rest if, if you're in that place. And I keep thinking when I keep talking about this topic, if it's just you, John, and you're projecting on everybody <laughs> that this is a, a tired time, one of those times, right? Like just the wearying effect of a pandemic, right? Or a busyness at work or a family challenge. Whatever it is, and whatever it is for you, the hope is through music and lyric and song and word, and in particular the words of Jesus, all of that put together, you'll find rest. Um, that God really is real and in this place and loves people and wants people to meet God in that rest. Which, arguably, theologically, you're made for. Not the kicking up your feet on the beach kind of rest, um, but a renewing, life-giving, placing you in time, letting you know where you are in the story and who you are in this life, kind of walking with you rest. So, that's what we're going to talk about this morning, and uh, before we get into it, I'm just going to open with a prayer, because the truth is, I can't be eloquent enough, and we can't sing well enough uh, for that rest, God's mystical rest, sense of rest, to rest upon us. Um, we can't make that happen, and so we pray, because we're saying to God, uh, help us. So, join me in a prayer. So, this morning, God, as we continue to listen to this ancient 250, 60-year-old music and, uh, and hear your words, Jesus, as they are put to that music, we pray that um, as we hear these voices singing over us, we'd somehow know you here singing over us. And we pray that by a work of your Spirit, you would allow something to touch us and say yes to us and say our name to us that is real, uh, a work of your Holy Spirit that is real as, is, is as real as letting <clears throat> music enter into our beings, as mysterious as that. May that happen here today, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And I, so <clears throat> we're going straight into that first handle piece right now, and I'm going to... Peace, and we're going to respond with our own music afterward. Yeah, you can laugh now, because I'm stuck on stage with a red face having to deal with this. So right into uh, slide number two in that opening piece, and then we're going to light the Advent candle as well this morning. It's 
There are many occasions in the Bible, in the New Testament especially, but the Old too, where Jesus is pointed to or likened to being a good shepherd, which was a clearly good metaphor to use back then when there were lots of sheep and lots of shepherds. And Jesus, according to all of these biblical words and the people when they talked about him, saw him as a good shepherd. He cared for his sheep, his followers, those who believed in him, his people. He gathered them, he tended them, he protected them, and he gently led them and even carried them, carried little lambs who were kind of vulnerable or in a dangerous place. That's what Jesus was like. And he said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I, instead, Jesus says, am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me. So, carrying the metaphor further and into this room, we the sheep, you are known by God. He knows your name and your character and your being. And we belong to God, our shepherding God. And you are God's, and God is yours. So the question I have at that point in writing this is, do you really know that, John? I mean, do you really know what it means that you belong to God? In the middle of a confusing moment in life where you're kind of losing your stuff and are feeling lost, do you really know where you are and what time it is? Have you, have you felt God's guiding hand on your life, stopping you from going in that direction, leading you instead in this better way? Heard his gentle voice by his spirit say, this way. Or in times maybe when it's frenetic and you're feeling attacked and the wolves are viciously gathering around you and hurling insults at you and seeking to destroy you. The world is coming down around you. Have you ever noticed that you're not alone in that place? There's somebody between you and that evil that's bearing down on you, shielding you to the point of laying down his life for you. I see so many people who struggle with the brokenness of life over the last few decades, people who feel abandoned and lost and broken and lonely and struggling with chronic pain or death or loss, whose jobs are killing them, who feel alone. Who do you turn to when you are alone?
Take his yoke upon you and learn of him, for he is meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. And a yoke, if you don't know what a yoke is, because you're not living in, the, in an agrarian, uh, cattle-raising, farming world, is what they put a wooden thing back in the day across two oxen to pull the plow so that they could work the land. And the yoke of religion in Jesus' day was all about ke keeping a whole set of laws that nobody could ever keep and then judging each other because none of you could keep those laws and living miserable lives or less than ideal lives of faith uh, before God. All about performance, and it was impossible. And so, given that yoke, that who's going to want to take that on? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. For, as the song says, his yoke is easy to bear and his burden is light. So, what does the yoke of Christ, getting your life yoked to God through Christ, what does faith in God through Christ feel like? How is it different from that burdensome, judging, performance-oriented way of living a life of faith? I'm thinking about my answer in the best of times, it's, it feels as light as being fully accepted for exactly who you are all the time. It sounds like a song of love that's being sung over your life, wherever you are, wherever you're walking, whatever you're doing, whatever you're feeling, this beautiful song of love sung for you, over you. It feels like having an unmerited new lease on life so that you can live your life as it was meant to be. Life with Christ, in Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's something that God extends personally to you and, and to me. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd still be developing shopping centers in Toronto if there wasn't an invitation at one point saying, I've got another thing for you to do an invitation. It's, it's personal. It's not just stuck between the covers of the Bible book. It's transformative. It's not just here. It works out into every part of your being. Not a concept or an idea. It's an experience faith. My son-in-law, who's agnostic, I would say, you know, why do you believe in this stuff? You know, because of the list of things that make up and define what it is? No. I believe because my life is connected to God through Christ. It's an experience, this faith. A person who holds you together when you're not holding it together. Like a shepherd would hold a little lamb gently gathering you in his arms, close to his heart. You can hear it beating, whispering, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy, have heavy burdens, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest. You will find rest for your souls. Now, that version I just read, those words are in the first person. So, somebody recorded what Jesus said to a group of people like this. 
2,000 years ago, directly from the mouth of Christ to you. Which then makes me ask, why did Handel put it into third person when he wrote Handel's Messiah? I mean, maybe he didn't know 250 years we'd be playing it every Christmas for the rest of eternity. But why, why talk about Jesus when you can talk to Jesus? Why hear about who Christ is when Christ, by definition, can speak on his own for himself? And then thinking about that, I thought, yeah, that's what church at its best is, right? When the pastor or the singer, they become transparent, translucent, and God is speaking. God is in the room. It seems to me that the power of Christ's invitation to enter into his rest crucially lies in a personal, experienced hearing of the tone of his voice. A humble voice that says, Don't worry. I have got you. I've always had you. I have you now. And I will have you for eternity. A gentle voice that says, I love you too so much. If you only knew, and I know you know, but if you only knew my love for you. Spoken with such a humility that it gets you past all of those barriers that, that don't let those kinds of voices in, you know? The voices that have hurt you in the past with words that are not those words. That have disappointed you. That have baited and switched you. That have used you. But a voice so gentle and so there with such a tone that you let it in. Like a soft, gentle melody that we just heard in how Handel wrote the music for those words. Via the maternal voice of a soprano, singing notes that are so gentle and humble, they seem to kneel down to you, to your ears. Augustine said, God bends to our ears in the coming of Christ. Words that then, in that place, grab our hands and lift us up. And so thinking about Handel and how he wrote that piece we just heard, could it be that Jesus' intimate presence is meant to be known as much through the tone of the music as it is through those written words from the gospel spoken by Jesus himself? Could Jesus have something to do by his Spirit with both of those things? inspiring Handel to write it that way so that when we here in 2022 hear it again or for the first time, it's Jesus speaking through both come together in this beautiful piece. So listen again just for another 30 or 40 seconds to the last part of the movement you just heard.
I am convinced that the effectiveness and power of an invitation is wholly contingent upon the tone and the character of the one who's extending it. And Jesus Christ, whom billions of people in the world now acknowledge and follow, who are a part of his flock, extends an invitation to us this Christmas. Can you trust his voice? Can you hear it? Can you feel how close it is? Jesus softly saying to us, let me teach you. I'm not that way like those other voices, those other authority figures, those people who got in the way of your faith, of you. I am for you. I made you. You're mine. Could it be that in our world of competing voices and everyone pitching stuff all the time, that there's a voice that somehow can get through all of that noise and say those words to you? That humble, that loving and good. And I've got to answer that with yes, because I am longing for it and desperate for it and need to hear that voice over and over again. I'm like a sheep that goes astray, just not all that with it or sharp most of the time in this journey of faith. I need someone that trustworthy, that for me, for you. And I mean, Jesus even gets, in offering this invitation to us, he gets what the world is like and what reality is. He's not offering this amazing grace, totally, you know, wearing rose-colored glasses and, and oblivious to the reality we're all living. He, he suffered the rejection, the pain, carried a far greater amount of that than arguably most of us ever will. And yet, in the middle of that, he modeled that you can yoke yourself to God in a way that is enough for you. Him with his Father and us in yoking ourselves to him with God the Father. So that's what all this, Advent candles and getting ready for Christmas and Christmas Eve in this place, is celebrating and remembering the God who came to us that first Christmas had a voice that spoke to us words like this so that we could find rest and life. Not a perfect, pain-free, if you just pray hard enough or give enough kind of simple interpretation of a life of faith, but a, a kind of rest that is so much deeper and that takes all of the other stuff and just puts it in order in terms of who you are. Uh, a presence of Christ that stands between you and that world and shields you and defines you and empowers you and takes away your fear and your doubt 
and brings wisdom and understanding for what it means to be a dad, to be a partner, to be who you are in life. That is out of this world. His life in me, his wisdom in me, teaching me how to speak. His strength in you, girding you up to face a hard thing and step into it. Even though it's petrifying, it's exhilarating. His perspective, eternal perspective, somehow in glimpsing it, letting you know that today is just today, and we're together forever. His power pushing you through. Not just to survive, but to thrive in the midst of it all. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Come to us in a baby, in a manger. Talk about tone, geographic tone, place, voice. Okay, one more Handel's Messiah's song, but before we start it, I'll set it up a little bit. It's a song of response to what we just heard, these words of Jesus to take on his yoke, a response offered by a choir of voices which represent the people of God responding to God because God has given them this new rest burden-free, burden-reduced life. So they're all together singing these words, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And one classical commentator named Roger Bullard said this about this song we're about to hear. He said, here is the rejoicing of a liberated folk. The music is substantial, not ethereal, but it manages to fleet and to be wafted as a feather in a breeze. Or maybe, uh, what's that show with the plastic bags swirling in the corner of the alley that was on TV all the time? That was just magical, right? This free floating, a feather, like a feather wafted in the breeze, this song is like. And that is just such a beautiful image. That is what life in Christ, yoked to God the Father through Christ, I think it's meant to be that way, a lot more than it is, transformed like a feather in the breeze. So this piece we're going to hear, it starts a little more feather-like and flowery, uh, but its crescendo is just powerfully fleet and beautiful and filled with promise and hope. For the people who first heard those words, and then when they heard them, when Handel put them to music, and now you, these, you people here, these words can bring powerful hope about who Jesus is and what he brings. So as you listen, spiritual exercise here, let's engage your imaginations. Um, imagine these being your words, or this being your response into a God who has sung God's invitation over you. Imagine a lighter life than you've been living right now. And these words, your testimony. Let, let this song be your song, our song, of response to God.
So God, help us to uh, join the choir, uh, to have an experience of, in life that is so numinous and real and beautiful and true that we know that it can't but have been sourced in you through the love of our daughter, through the meaningful creating of something, through our life, our work, our art, our song, through our relationships as we teach, as we serve, as we are incarnated into our community and your hands and feet in this neighborhood. Let our lives be your song. And may they be uh, as light, as joyful, as good, as beautiful, as true as you've always meant them to be. Can't do it on our own. Do it for us. Help us to trust you and make us new, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.